0: Hello and welcome into the Take Ten Podcast. This is Alex Roo of Big Ten Network, and today's guests are Iowa wide receiver and recent Minnesota Vikings draft pick Amir Smith Marset, and Big Ten Network Manager of Research Harold Shelton. Let's get into it.
1: Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here. With the catch, the finish.
0: All right, before we get to Amir Smith-Marset, quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. You can build a solid foundation in the strategic, creative, and analytic skills that are essential for success in the business of sports in the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. Definitely check that out. If you are looking to work in the sports industry, looking to work at a place maybe like Big Ten Network, check out NUSPS. Great program and opportunity there. All right, like we said at the top, first guest is Amir Smith-Marset, the electric playmaker from Iowa. Fifth-round draft pick in the Minnesota Vikings uh, as a wide receiver. I assume he'll be on special teams for them as well. We talk about his career playmaking, his uh, more dynamic plays and games for the Hawkeyes, uh, how it felt to be Baddest dude on the field in some of those instances, and when guys, as Amir puts it, can't hold him on the field, uh, a lot of fun talking to him. The guy is uh, as electric on the mic as he is with the ball in his hands. So we'll get to him, and after that, uh, we'll talk some football and basketball with Harold Shelton. But first, it's Amir Smith Marset of the Minnesota Vikings. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by star wide receiver kick returner from Iowa, one of the most electric players that we had in the Big Ten, and, and he's now the new man on the Minnesota Vikings. It's Amir Smith-Marset. And first of all, Amir, congratulations on being drafted, uh, you know, entering this new life. How are you feeling, man?
2: Uh, I'm good, good. I want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's tremendous uh, being able to say you, you made it to, you know, the pro level. Uh, it's been, it's been really great. And uh, I'm just, you know, looking forward to, you know, what, what this, you know, organization bring me.
0: Yeah, it looks like you're in, you know, one of the Vikings facilities now. Uh, you got that that swag on right now for people watching on YouTube, uh, decked oh, out yeah. in purple. Definitely, tweeted, definitely. There you go. Tweeted earlier this month about, you know, the feeling and just kind of knowing you made it to the NFL and how incredible that is. So, like, what's been life – what's life been like for you in the month or so since the draft? How have you adjusted? Just take us through uh, your life now.
2: Uh, This has been, you know, pretty, you know, compact. Uh, this. A lot of meetings, figuring out the new playbook and stuff like that, you know, just adjusting to, you know, getting, you know, paid, you know, for, you know, doing this job now. So it's been it's been really good. Just been, you know, really head on, hands on, head on in playbook. And then, you know, just out here practicing and getting in tune with, you know, the quarterbacks and, you know, the rest of my teammates.
0: All right. So up in Minnesota, you know, you saw what Justin Jefferson did there in year one as a rookie. seeing what maybe growing up what Cordero Patterson did as a return man, kind of a similar versatile Jack of all trades. Like you are, how do you see yourself kind of making an impact with the Vikings and just fitting in with the league overall?
2: Uh, You know, I'm somebody that's very versatile. So I just, I just see myself, you know, being somebody that, you know, they could, they could use anywhere on the field, basically, Uh, you know, kick return, punt return, and then, you know, working my way into the offense. So uh, I, that's just how I plan on being used, you know. Cordell Patterson, they had Percy Harvin back in the day. That was somebody they used, uh that was, you know, versatile himself. So I just I just see them using my versatility as an asset and you know, just being able to put me in different different positions and you know, just letting me play my game.
0: All right. So growing up watching the NFL, watching football, and continuing to as a college athlete and now, you know, as a pro athlete yourself. Who are some players in the league you compare yourself to, maybe two or three guys who you either admire or see a similar skill set when you look at your game?
2: Uh, right now, uh, Diggs. Diggs is, you know, one of those dogs, fifth-round pick, just like me that's, you know, got the mentality that you, every, every snap, every play, you just dog mentality, go out there, you know, get what you want. Um, and then as I, from a return standpoint, uh, the close I could say is Cordell Patterson. He's just somebody every time he touched the ball, you know, there's you know, almost a 40 50 yard return. So, I mean, those two specifically, you know, it's 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 funny that you that you know, those two come, like play for the Vikings and stuff like that. But those two most comparable uh people and stuff like that,
0: yeah. Diggs guy, uh, Diggs is a guy who was at, at Maryland, another Big Ten guy as well. So, we love to yeah. hear that. Uh, and obviously, you know, up in the Twin Cities, Kirk Cousins will be your QB1 there. But what was your reaction to being back with uh, Nate Stanley, a guy who went a year before you to the Vikings as well?
2: Uh, it, it, it was kind of crazy. Uh, you know, you just never know where, to, where the chip's going to land. Uh, so just being able to be back with him, uh, I would say we got, a, you know, sort of a connection. And uh, just being able to be back with him is you know, pretty great. Uh, so just build on, build on, you know, what we had previously.
0: And then taking it back to your days before Iowa, right? You're a Newark kid from New Jersey who I know there were some Iowa uh, players that came from Newark as well alongside you. So what stood out to you about playing in the Big Ten? What drew you to Iowa? And tell me what it was like kind of adjusting from a place like Newark to a place like Iowa City. Uh,
2: so what made me, you know, really choose Iowa it was, you know, school away from home, uh, no distractions or anything like that. Just being able to go out there. And, you know, be on your own. Uh, you, you learn quickly. Um, but the transition from, you know, New Jersey to Iowa was pretty smooth, pretty simple. Uh, was able to uh, go out there, adjust to the slow the slow style. It was, you know, pretty slow. But, you know, you just get to chill, clear your mind, have a, a, a clear mind, and just, you know, focus on football in school. So, you know, it was really good for me, really helpful, and I just enjoyed my time out there. All
0: right, so looking back in your Hawkeye career, what are some of the memories that stick out to you that you hold on to now? Uh, obviously, had some big games, had some accolades. Oh, yeah. Take me through some of the uh, moments that you know jump out when you're telling old stories.
2: Uh, one is pro- one is probably uh the Wisconsin the Wisconsin game. Uh, that's probably number one in my book. Uh, the, the scenery of it, just the snow falling. Uh, basically whipping them boys, and they can't do nothing about it. Uh, anybody matching up on me that game was, you know, pretty much, you know, going to get it. So, I mean, that game was was pretty crazy, being able to go out there and just have fun and then bring the trophy back. And then, uh, you know, you got the, the kick return touchdown against uh, Nebraska after they caught a pick six. They, you know, got, you know, their heads too big and they wound up kicking me the ball after not kicking me the ball, to, you know, the whole game. Uh, and they wound up kicking it to me. I returned it, silenced that whole stadium. And then of course, you know, USC, uh, USC is USC. They supposed to be five star this, five star that. But, uh, I'm, I'm a person that see it as, bro, we, we still got to strap up and play football. Uh, at the end of the day, you, you could be as highly ranked as you want to be, but you still got to go out there and play. And, uh, just being able to whip them boys down how we did. And They like, literally them boys telling me like, yeah, without, yeah, we, can't stop they, we could stop y'all, but they got you and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it was a team game. But you know, I just went out there and you know, just whipped them boys, showed them boys that you all the, the the hype is and you know, it's just hype, but you gotta still play football. So I mean uh, those those some of my my best memories, uh being underrated and then just showing them showing the, going out there and showing in those games, you know, that you know, we dogs too.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought the USC game up. That was uh, going to be one of my questions, uh, but you already kind of answered it. I will bring up one you didn't mention, or or a few games you didn't mention. Uh, you had three career touchdowns against Minnesota, including two in your new home of Minneapolis. So you should be comfortable already up there.
2: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, man, I haven't lost in this. I haven't lost in this state. Uh, never lost to the to a Minnesota team. Now I play for a Minnesota team. It's it's weird how it works out, but uh. Yeah, I I would say I'm comfortable anywhere I go, but you know, it's something I done did three years in a row scoring scoring on Minnesota, twice in Minnesota. So I mean it's something people should get used to.
0: For sure, for sure. And uh you mentioned playing against Wisconsin, you know, the flip is one play that everyone thinks about when they think about you going up against Wisconsin where you had to leave the game, land in that flip. And you know I was having
2: fun. Yeah, man. Like
0: I and I understand that because even though I never played at any level of football. Uh, I love like pl- doing the flipping mad, and then taking that to the schoolyard when I would play like, tackle football with friends and all that. I love trying the flip, so I like I feel you on that. Uh, yeah. and I, I love that you said when you were asked about it, would I do it again? Yes, and do I regret it? No. So take me through your mindset there, uh, doing it and then not regretting it after the fact.
2: Uh, it's just something that came to mind. Uh, you know, you going back and forth, you talking trash back and forth with you know people on the field, and then like you. You literally tell somebody what what you' about to do and you still do it. This is like now now you got to put the cherry on top and it, it literally just came to my mind as I caught the pass. I turned around, looked at him, and it's something I always wanted to do since high school. So I was just like, let me get it off the checklist. I did it, and I mean, we was up twenty one to seven, or tw- we put tw- it was twenty one to seven after I scored that, and then uh, I mean, yeah, I got hurt. Uh, went out the game but you know we was we was killing them boys and they just couldn't stop us uh so i mean i was just having fun
0: uh any coaches get on you for it or, or do they just know your kind of personality
2: they know they know they they knew they knew you know what type of person i was uh uh i'm just somebody that like to go out there and have fun if it was fans in that place it would have went crazy so i mean like at the end of the day you don't, you, you you do it cuz you love football but you do it to you know entertain the fans too so like that was just something that I did and uh, I ain't had no regret doing it. Uh, But if I, I I ain't doing that again (laughs) though. All right, yeah,
0: you're you're, you're Vikings coaches right now watching like, all right, just making (laughs) sure. Nah, I ain't
2: doing that, I ain't doing that one again. All
0: right, so you also made a guarantee before your 2019 season that you would return a kick for a touchdown, ended up doing that, and then some. Are there any guarantees you'd like to make heading into your NFL season or career or are you gonna leave that alone?
2: Uh I can't guarantee nothing right now. I gotta make the team first. So so I'm gonna lead a guarantee. I'm gonna lead the guarantees to after after I make a team or something. You get what I'm saying? And then you know we could we could you know revisit that topic, but until then, I ain't got no guarantees right now. That's
0: smart. You already got that NFL trading down. Uh, (laughs) all right, a couple Amir, a couple quick questions to wrap up before we go here. Uh I noticed in a little get to know you piece you did for I think the players tribune. uh, Uh Said you're a bowling guy. You like bowling, right? Yeah. Okay.
2: I used to bowl all the time out there in Iowa.
0: I like bowling too. I I that's one of the games. I'm not good at much as far as like these little parlor games, but bowling's one that I can I can get after a bit. Pick three dudes if you could on your team who you either like to bowl with or you think you could give the work to in bowling uh, if you had to.
2: Uh, three 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 people to bowl with. Uh, yeah. My first one, I'm gonna put. I'm I'm gonna pick my boy Des to bowl with because. When when, when when something on the line he come through so Desmond Hudson, I'm gonna bowl with Desmond Hudson. can it be coaches and t- coaches too sure oh oh I'm definitely picking Tyler Barnes Tyler Barnes that's my dog TB me and TB I'm bowling with TB TB average like 170 or something like that some crazy high number and then if if I had to bowl against somebody and, and, and give him the, the smackdown uh it'd probably be coach Coke Cause he all big, he too cocky, he can't bowl. He's like, nah, bowler. he probably gonna look, he probably gonna look at this and be like, I'll I could bowl, bowl, but nah, i definitely get a smack down of Coach cool. All
0: right, love it. And last question, Amir. Uh, we got the playoffs going right now. I saw you're a LeBron <clears> fan. <throat> Are the Lakers gonna gonna repeat? Uh is, is Braun gonna get it done because they're looking shaky in game one against Phoenix.
2: Hey man, look. You win some, you lose some. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. So he always seen the finish. So there it is.
0: How do you feel about him, you know, holding the shoulder, kind of going down, looking at the camera, making sure, uh, you know, that everyone notices he's 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 down on the ground with these injuries?
2: Right, That man is LeBron James, man. Let him do what he wants.
0: I'm just giving you a hard time because I'm a Chicago guy. I'm a Michael <laughs> Jordan fan. I like LeBron too, but, like, you know, I'm yeah. always going to ride with Jordan uh, yeah. first and foremost.
2: Man, it's LeBron James. Cut him some slack.
0: All right. Will do. All right, Amir, that's all I got for you, man. Appreciate you jumping Uh, on. Best of luck with the Vikings in year one. We're going to be following you. And thanks again for doing it. Appreciate you jumping on uh, after practice here. Hype me up, man. Tell the Big Ten to
2: hype me up, man. I'm about to explode on the scene.
0: We got you. All right. Thanks once again to Amir for joining. Uh, like I alluded to in the beginning really fun energetic guy to talk to his personality kind of matches his play on the field that old cliche but uh, he's he was great love listening to his, uh, his take some of his trash talk that he engaged with on the field in some of those bigger games and hopefully he can carry that uh, ability to the league and like he said first step is making the team so best of luck to him with that opportunity and hopefully we get to see him on Sundays uh, coming up this fall All right. Next up, it's Harold Shelton, who is Big Ten Network's manager of research. If you've listened to the show before, Harold is a regular fixture on the show. And in season for us, he will talk Big Ten football and Big Ten men's basketball quite often. But when we're out of season uh, for football and basketball like we are right now, we'll try and come up with some engaging and fun topics to get into. And this week, we... Had a couple um, talked most scenic campuses in the Big Tens, spurred on by Andy Katz's rankings that dropped this week and made a, a stir on social media, caused some backlash and angry tweets and replies to Andy's rankings. Uh, people are not happy, including Indiana and Michigan State fans who adore their campuses and uh, thought they should be included. We'll get into that in just a second. But the other topic we talked about is, uh, and it kind of folds in with the campus life and uh the environment in general, but talked about built in recruiting advantages and developing recruiting advantages for Big Ten football and men's basketball and what factors in the most in the past, present, future in making those programs successful and attractive places to be for the Gen Z kids that are coming up in high school sports these days and um you know, it's an ever changing landscape. We get into all that. So good discussion with Harold. That's coming right up. It's the Take Ten podcast discussion with our manager of research, Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton. Just a few days after we talked last, we're cram the episodes in now, H. Appreciate you jumping back on the quick turnaround. You're not outside anymore. How are things going uh, with you and and your world? Uh, Things are good. Um, Back in
1: Chicago now. Uh, Not in my normal spot, you know, kind of hanging out in the basement today. Wife has commandeered the kitchen, Uh, so just kind of hanging out here. Shows the versatility we have in the pile. We we got a lot of scenes, a lot of scenic changes, and uh, content will still be good.
0: Yeah, speaking of scenic, we'll we'll get into that in a second, talking campuses. Uh, I never had a basement growing up, and I think I've always had a piece of me missing because of that. Like, a lot of my friends had basements. It's always a cool place to hang out, and... I don't know, I was always am jealous of people with basements.
1: Yeah, like we had a basement growing up, but we didn't use it much. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Connecticut and we had a, a basement down there and that kind of became the the place where everybody watched NFL and big games. Um everybody kinda you know, just took over the basement and I was like, you know what? I definitely need to have my own basement, like man cave style. We still got some some work to do on that front, but we got the space for it at least.
0: Yeah, definitely on the, the list of wants for me when I get my own place, grow up to be just like you, you know, I am boy, <laughs> um, all right, Harold, we had this week's guest on actually just talked to him. So we're going back to back with the interviews here. Talking about 20 minutes ago, Amir Smith-Marset, funny guy. I didn't realize how funny he was. Like I knew he had some personality to him. I knew he was talented, was a great football player, obviously watching him in Iowa but he had some good answers that people just heard uh, about, you know, being the guy over matching dudes across from him lining up at DB and and just has a very positive and engaging uh, outlook on the game. So fun to talk to him. What are your memories of Amir Smith-Marset from, you know, just last year? And then I think he started in 2017 and a four year career at Iowa.
1: Yeah, he was kind of overshadowed there for a while because, you know, they were tight in you going there with uh, Fant and Hawkinson, And and so, you know, a lot of times, you know, the ball was going to those guys. And for good reason, they were two first round picks. But once those guys left, you kind of saw the talent emerge. I remember toward the end of the uh, 2019 season, he had the crazy game against Nebraska. Then the holiday ball against USC, he was the best player on the field. Um, he could show, you know, he showed, he could score in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, great returner, um, obviously a great deep ball guy. When the ball is in his hands, he's real dangerous. And then I remember that Wisconsin game, um, and it was the last time we saw him in an Iowa uniform, and he was just blowing by the DBs. And I didn't really know about the personality until I saw him flipping the end zone. And so I said, for a guy to do that, he has to have some kind of personality. And uh, hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that at the next level.
0: Yeah, we talked about that. He said he wouldn't be flipping anymore, but he did not regret it. Like he said in the the postgame presser, he doubled down on that take. So I'm glad he didn't lose that uh, luster there. So it's interesting with a guy like him trying to transition to the NFL. He's going to have to be a good receiver. Like it's not the same game where you can kind of be a full-time returner like Devin Hester was. Uh, Most guys in the NFL can kick it through the end zone. I feel like he'll get fewer chances. Maybe if he gets some pump return, though, who knows? I, I don't know the Vikings plans there but uh, definitely entering a league that is different than college where the kickers might not be able to, to kick it through the end zone and start in the 25 as often.
1: No, that's true. And like, when you think about it, there's very few like return only guys like you, like you mentioned Hester, uh, I know Cordero Patterson's another one, but even then they kind of still use him on offense in different ways, even though he's not traditionally a receiver at this point. So maybe he's a guy that can catch on uh, from that aspect where the, if it's not just as a receiver, obviously in the return game, maybe you see he's a jet sweep guy, deep threat guy. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. Vikings have some weapons up there. And so adding him just adds to that stable.
0: Yeah. Two guys he listed as people he admires, uh, Stephon Diggs, who was obviously a star for the Vikings and at Maryland. And then Corey Earl Patterson, who also made his name in Minnesota. And I liked him on the bears. I know some people kind of, rolled their eyes that Matt Nagy gave him so many touches uh, as a running back. But I just like a guy who can kind of play multiple positions. Patterson's a lot bigger, though, I'm pretty sure, than than yep. said. He's a load. So uh, hopefully ISM can hold up. But if
1: you're explosive, I feel like they'll find a way to play you. Um, if you're a threat to score from anywhere on the field, I think you got a spot in that league. And so, you know, as long as, you know, ISM still has that speed, I think he'll be just fine.
0: You mentioned the tight ends. Obviously, you got – Kittle and Fant, Dallas Clark back in the day, Hawkinson. Um, i trying to think. Does Iowa have anyone at receiver in the NFL? Am I drawing a blank here, or are have they not – been able to really make much of a difference in the league in that position? Uh, I'm trying to think. During the Kirk era – Cor- like, what, what was the guy's name? Johnson Corialis
1: was a guy who was good. Yeah, DJK was really yeah. good. but I don't remember him doing much in the league. Like, you got to go back. Like, I right. remember Sam Dwight being in the league, but yep. – you know that was you know 20-some odd years ago that he was at Iowa. Um, yeah, it's mostly in a, a physical what you would expect from Iowa. It's running backs. It's a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of tight ends, um, and obviously good defense. A so ton of secondary players in the league. Uh, you still got linebackers kicking around with the Neimans and Josie Jewell. So they even though they don't have don't have as many receivers, they still you know fill the cupboard at a lot of other positions.
0: All right, so that's going to kind of filter into one of our two conversations we're going to have coming up here. We have kind of a fun one at first where we're going to talk about the scenic campuses in the big 10 and go off some rankings that made some noise on social media this week, but also talk about recruiting advantages and fits in both big 10 football and basketball, as far as which schools have, you know, systems that fit players and, and who would be at an advantage when trying to draw players to their school. So I think, you know, maybe ISM has some success in the league and Iowa can market him as a success story to future, you know, recruits. They already got that locked down at tight end, but system I think is definitely one of those things that will factor into that conversation later.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, And you definitely see it um, on the basketball side. Like I remember there were a couple of different times where a guy was thinking about coming back And coaches will literally say, look, like you have to go to the league or else like that could be held against us in recruiting. Like we have to show that, you know, we send guys to the league, we send lottery picks to the league. And so when we recruit the next guy, the next guy to be you, we can point to you and say, hey, he came here, he got better. He became a lottery guy and he's getting, you know, millions of dollars in the league. So uh, to your point, like that, being able to sell something like that makes a huge difference.
0: All right. So that discussion is to come. But first, this kind of just popped up this week uh, out of not really nowhere, but out of the offseason bucket of buzz we try and create when Big Ten sports, Big Ten football and basketball are not going on and hit up Andy Katz, who's always looking for stuff to do and had him rank the top five most scenic Big Ten campuses. Whenever you're talking things that are personal to people like campuses or Food at said campuses or stadiums or anything with rankings, uh, feelings tend to get hurt. So there was a considerable amount of back- backlash to Andy's rankings. And I think I saw some of it coming when I saw his list and uh, warned him that, you know, some couple select fan bases might not be happy. But his top five, and we'll read them off here, went Wisconsin to one, Northwestern two, Michigan three, Penn State four and Minnesota at five. And the overwhelming majority of negative backlash that he got came from angry Indiana and Michigan State fans. H, are you surprised at those two schools being the loudest when it comes to defending the honor of their campus scenery?
1: No, not at all. Um, I think both of those schools have beautiful campuses. Um, I think that in a case of Michigan and Minnesota, those cities and those those towns i think would for sure be in the top five um and i think it's all about personal preference i think for me when i think of campus i think of an enclosed space not mixed in throughout the city like michigan is um no there's no question ann arbor is a top five college town in the big ten a lot of people think it's one of the top five in the country um i think it's a you know a a great place to hang out but in terms of the actual campus itself, eh, not not so much. And so I could see why people from Bloomington or East Lansing have to chime in on the campuses because they're both really really nice campuses.
0: I knew the backlash would be severe from Indiana because it just seems to be in the lexicon of of scenic college campuses. It seems like it's always landing in those rankings that people put out for the same reason that we put this type of list out to get shares get discussion flowing and get some good PR going. So uh, I knew the people who love Bloomington would you know, bring that backlash in the heat. And they did uh, funny tweet. I think Hoosier hysterics quoted it and said, if anyone is looking for another reason to never listen to a single word, Andy Katz says, look no further or something like that. Uh, I warned him that, that they would not be happy. Uh, and then uh, Anthony Iani, uh, Michigan state Spartan dog, as you know, just quoted it and said, uh, Andy Katz, we need to have a chat brother, LOL. So those are just two of the many, many juicy replies that we got. And, uh, I think Andy wants to explain himself, but, uh, you know, he, he can do that in other ways, whether it comes to ranking actual basketball, things like stadiums or crowd atmospheres. He's going to redeem himself. He said, and, and, uh, do it, uh, post COVID crowd atmosphere ranking later this week, where I think he's going to try and get himself back in the good graces of Indiana fans. Yeah, and that shouldn't be hard because I assume Assembly Hall would certainly be in the top five, uh,
1: Big Ten atmosphere. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to seeing Andy's list um, and you know his his video explaining you know his list uh, that he put out currently whenever that happens to come up.
0: All right, so Andy's a bigger following and maybe more clout than we do, but that doesn't mean we can't create our own lists. H, let's hear your top five most seen at campuses. We've both been to all fourteen. Uh, visited them together for the bus tour, so we have credibility here. What do you got, and how closely does it stack up to the list we just read off?
1: It's honestly not too far off from Andy's. Um, I had a couple of, a couple of, t- a couple of schools in that Andy didn't, uh, but he had Penn State four, I believe. I had him fifth. Um, I had Indiana four. Michigan State three, Northwestern two, Wisconsin one, and I think for me again, when it comes to campuses, I love the the enclosed space where it doesn't feel like you're you're mixed in with everybody else. It's just all of the students together, so that's a that's a big selling point for me. Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of trees. I'm a big fan, of, especially in the fall when. When the leaves change colors and you get the greens and the browns and the reds and the yellows all mixed in, you definitely get that in Indiana. Um, Michigan State's got the nice river going through the campus. Very, very scenic in the fall. I know that from experience. Um, And it's kind of hard to go against the lakes when you get Northwestern and Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin's eyes, at least one of my favorite stops on the bus tour just because of the terrace up there, uh, gray food up there. It's kind of hard to beat.
0: So, you removed Minnesota and Michigan, correct, and put in Indiana, Michigan State.
1: Now, if we're talking just towns and cities, Minneapolis is by far my
0: favorite place to hang
1: out on the bus tour. Not even close. But right. in, terms, in terms of the campus, uh, I got the other ones ahead.
0: I think Minnesota is close to, to my top five. It's not in it. I, I think the campus gets slept on a little bit. I, I actually like it. Uh, I think they do, do a good job blending kind of urban and campus feel. And there are some areas that are kind of concrete jungle, but I think for the most part, it's pretty good. And you can see the skyline from campus. So I count that as like the views that you get, just even though it's not on campus, I'll, I'll take into account the campus views, which is why Penn state uh, is third on my list behind Wisconsin at one Northwestern at two. So my one and two were the same. And, you know, even though I think those would be there regardless, Andy went to Wisconsin and his daughter goes to Northwestern. So, you know, think of that what you will. So, I had Wisconsin, Northwestern, Penn State because of the mountains. Yeah. It's really the only place in the Big Ten you can get that view. Especially and
1: a practice field at Penn State. Right. Like, if you, You're out there watching football and you just glance over and you see the mountains in the background. That's the best uh, backdrop in the league for sure.
0: The actual campus itself, I think it's comparable to many of the other ones that we're on, the buildings and, and the just general feel on the streets, the trees. It's not all that different than your basic Big Ten campus, but the mountains set it apart. So uh, elevated that to number three. I had Michigan still in the top five. I had them at number four. Uh, And again, I think the criticism of that from the outside and from you would be that I'm taking the town into account there. And and that's one thing I like, I think, though, about Ann Arbor is that you can't really tell where the campus and town blend and kind of end and begin, I think. They do a great job merging the campus town and the downtown and just place where people live. So that's another reason I like Madison is because it kind of blends in with the city. That's just a matter of personal preference. I know you just said you like when it's kind of defined as a campus town and the actual city itself. And then just because I I do believe this, but I also didn't want Indiana fans getting mad. I did have Indiana at number five. I think they will still get mad that it's not higher, but um, I think Bloomington is, is a nice place. I understand why people put it high in their, their rankings. Um, the architecture, you'll hear the word limestone thrown a lot. That's definitely a, a factor there. And, and you do kind of feel like you're at Hogwarts or something when you're in that little area with the greenery and the little bridges and the cobblestone and the sample gates and the clock tower. And it's all very serene. Uh, I just think once you get outside that little area, it's just, you know, another, another campus town, kind of like what we said with Penn state, it's, It reminds me of Champaign or West Lafayette or, or all these other places that, you know, some people I saw looking down on in the, uh, in the replies. So there, you know, I think Brent Urena, our, our colleague at big 10 network said it best, we were talking about this yesterday and he said, every campus is pretty or has its truly beautiful spots. What separates the ones that get loved from the ones that get trashed is proximity to water, mountains, palm trees, and the narratives that have been in place for years. I, not wrong.
1: I mean, I love the water, love the mountains. I mean, a lot of landlocked
0: campuses don't have that. And so they're, they're lower on my list. So Michigan state did not make my list and maybe I'll partly blame you for that. I don't know why. Uh, I don't recognize it up there with those top five. I think it's, Mostly because when I've been there, I got an idea. I got an idea. Yeah, so you're out here. Door, yeah, we never get time up there. That's that's part of it. And hear me out. So the arena by or the area by the arenas by Spartan Stadium and and um, Breslin, not a lot going on over there from what I remember. Uh, and then even when I went as an undergrad, we parked pretty close to the arena, so I didn't get to see a whole lot. I saw kind of what you're talking about with the greenery. And then when we got food on the way out of town. It's kind of by the uh, fraternity, sorority, Greek life area. And, and that's just kind of by like a busy thoroughfare. It kind of feels like your average commercial district um, and, you know, not all that nice over there either. So I think I'm missing the good parts. Like I feel like I haven't walked by the river. Um, when we stay, we stay in downtown Lansing, which is fine, but it's not, you know, anything remarkable. So what am I missing here age?
1: Yeah, we got to get you to like the middle of campus, got to get you by the bridges you were talking about at IU and like the river that that runs through the campus, Um, the nice Spartan statue that's kind of in between all three of the buildings with uh, the Breslin, Mon, Ice Arena, and Spartan Stadiums kind of all right there. Um, And then there's like the area over by East Campus where they just uh, put up some new, new buildings there and it's a lot of greenery. It's a lot more spread out there. Because you're right. If you're just looking at the area, which would be South Campus, if you're just looking where the stadiums are, it's really just the stadiums um, and like some apartment buildings and like the main street to kind of get in and out. There isn't a ton over there. Uh, so, yeah, we got to get you like to the middle and to the opposite end of campus.
0: And I think me and Andy are similar in ranking these where we've been on jogs, right? I know he's a runner. I tend to try and get out for a run when we go. And you're right. Two of the three years that I've gone, we get in at midnight from Ann Arbor and then go to practice in the morning. We, we had one day, I remember we had some time, but I didn't get a chance to get out and explore. So these other places I've always been able to kind of roam and run around. And then Northwestern speaks for itself with the lakefront and all that. So got to get me a, a running map next time. Maybe I can see more of, of what's going on.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd like to be able to run campus myself. Like you said, we normally get there. You know, we spend a couple of days in Ann Arbor and then we wind up getting to East Lansing late, just in time to eat, go to sleep, wake up early, go to practice. And then we're coming back to Chicago or we're going to the next place. So we don't really get a chance to to see a ton. Um, we did get the dairy store run the last time. So shout out to that.
0: But um, yeah, we, we need more of those kind of chances to, to explore. All right. So something like we said at the top, it gets people worked up no matter what. Love talking about it. Good May content. Good. Good discussion, oh, yeah. Potter. Uh, And it kind of threads into our next discussion a little bit. You, you had sent me an article by Jeff Borzello behind the ESPN plus paywall. Um, so I won't give too much away here, but we will talk about the general gist of it where he talked to coaches and big 10 basketball about which schools are at advantages. And these are the uh, anonymous answers. So got some honesty here, but which schools are advantages recruiting wise and what some of those factors might be. And just to kind of bridge these convos here. I always thought that the college town has to be some sort of paradise or it has to be in a nice place. I thought that angle has always been overblown or just misrepresented. Like, I don't think it's actually a factor. Like, if that's the case, you know, Miami would be the best college basketball program every year or any of these scenic places, uh, Stanford, you know, places that are beautiful naturally and have great campuses – And it's just not like, look at where college basketball thrives. You're in Lawrence, Kansas, right? Um, You know, Durham and Chapel Hill, I'm sure are very nice places, but it's it's not on the beach. So uh, I don't know about what you think about that angle and how it plays into this discussion coming up about recruiting advantages, but I just thought it was always kind of exaggerated. No, I I completely agree. I think um, before, I think tradition mattered a ton.
1: You know, it was all about trying to win uh try to win conference championships try to get to the tournament get to the final four all of that uh now I think it's more brand focused you know what's the best way for me to get to the league uh which guys are producing NBA players which guys can help me you know get to the league faster with their style of play yeah I think have I think the actual campus itself is overrated I think what you have on the campus certainly matters but the campus itself, like if it's by water or if it's, you know, tropical, like you said, like Miami would be great. Um, you know, until recently U- UCLA was down, you know, uh, Arizona, Arizona state if, you know, especially Arizona state, they've had their issues. So yeah, I don't think, uh, and the New York schools have been down. So, you know, I don't think the location itself is uh much of a factor at all.
0: Yeah. Same with football, you know, Clemson and, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Alabama, you know, none of these places are, are Norman, Oklahoma are huge cities. Right. So, uh, same thing there, but you're right. What is on the campus, I think matters, uh, facility wise. And I don't know, I feel like now if you're in a power five conference, your facility better be at least decent. I think, I think that was kind of covered in the 2010s. Um, and we saw it, you know, like every year we were getting a tour of some brand new facility that popped up. And I feel like most places are on somewhat even playing fields now, even though your Ohio States, your Bama's, your Clemson's are always probably going to have the resources to stay a little ahead of the pack. Um, But I think the facilities arms race in the 2010s will will now, like you alluded to, be replaced in the 2020s by the brand race and the way that schools can portray themselves as brand ambassadors for athletes to get them to the league, like you said. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's
1: that's the case now. And, you know, you just kind of see different schools recruiting and, you know, they're they're alluding to the brand and ways that they can pitch, you know, your personality and the things that you do and what makes you, you know, different from other people. And this is how we can, you know, showcase you. I think the schools that do the best job of figuring that formula out will be very, very successful in getting players on campus um, NIL or not.
0: And football on the football side, Ohio state has been doing this. I know other schools have been too, but I just remember even in in the early days, when I worked there, they, they made a big deal about having this workshop, right? Where they would put you on graphics and send you the graphics and, and have great mashup videos of highlights. And, and that was kind of their, another secret weapon for them was having an elite, video and content department that would turn this stuff out for the athletes and they do a great job. And, and uh, you know, all the big 10 schools in their own way are skilled at this, but Ohio state, I remember being kind of at the forefront with it. There was an article that came out a few years ago that compared them in Clemson. I remember uh, and it, it's true. So um, you know, schools that have been ahead of the curve on this, I think will continue to be, but I think there is a lot of room too with, with schools that you know everyone talks about, name, image, and likeness maybe being uh, negative for college sports or that the the critics would say that it's going to keep the playing field far apart. You know, I would argue there are a lot of schools with a lot of big fan bases that maybe haven't had the same level of success that could bridge the gap a little bit by tapping into those large fan bases in a more direct way from the athlete to the fan.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, And I think you're right in terms of Ohio State. I think they were – definitely ahead of the curve in terms of uh the graphics department all the cool stuff that they were doing all the videos they were putting out um it kind of set them apart it wasn't just uh hey we're great come here it's these are all the reasons you should come here and this is you know what we could do for you when you do come here it has to be something different to differentiate um the fact that it was an ohio it was an ohio state program who was already you know elite i think just kind of put them to another level but in the case of like in Oregon, like they found an identity for themselves. Um, I know uniforms had a big deal to do with that. And um, once they got that and the facilities, it allowed them to compete at an elite level. And I think a lot of these schools, if they can't compete in the arms race with some of these others, they have to get really creative in the graphic department. Um, I remember when Michigan State hired Mel Tucker, they completely revamped everything in the graphics department. and you know, they couldn't get kids on campus. So they had to come up with all of these different ways to try to do it. And, you know, they had this, you know, virtual recruiting experience and, you know, had all these cool graphics that they would send out to players and you would see them retweet stuff all the time. And um, obviously it worked out well because the main guy took that same position at USC. And so I guess USC will start to ramp that up too. But um, I think you're just going to see more and more of this as
0: it goes on. It's an interesting time too because – we're coming out of a unfortunate period when colleges had to crack down quite a bit on their budgets and put people on furlough and and unfortunately lay people off and and it's at a time when you know i, I think that'll come back once the money starts flowing in but like you said they're gonna have to expand these departments and and hire creative people and for a long time i think college athletic departments have skated by on paying people you know the the lowest amount can get away with for, the, for a lot of these administrative roles. And, and I just think it's going to be a similar arms race where, you know, to have creative people on your team, you better offer some competitive advantages. Uh, and, and that means competitive, I think compensation too. So, uh, you know, just knowing that space and we're not in it, we interact with people in it, but, uh, just knowing how that those types of, of people tend to jump around. Like you mentioned the guy going from M- MSU to USC, Seems like in college athletics, people either stay forever or they jump places three years at a time. Uh, That's just kind of an observation that I've had. So it's gonna be interesting to see just how that, uh, you know, on the inside baseball side of things that we're looking at it from, um, how the the workforce shapes out from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny how the
1: athletes these days is kind of the wild west. And I feel like it's like that, you know, off the field too. Uh You got coaches moving around all over the place. You got different positions being created. You know, they added another assistant and now you know, Nick Saban kind of, you know, came up with the whole analyst deal. So, you know, you got like 10 different analysts who can't be on the field, but it could still help out. And so I think there's always going to be ways of trying to find a competitive advantage somewhere. Um, And if it comes from the elite programs who already have all the resources, I think the gap, uh, you know, widens even further. Um, but if there's some teams that are either struggling to get to the middle or if some of the middle teams to try to get to the top, I certainly think you know if they found a niche before others that it allows them to move up a run, yeah.
0: And the best thing for your brand is winning, so like, I don't want to short sell that at all. Um, you know, you win games, your brand's gonna be cool, and people are gonna play for you. So what did, I'm curious, what did, uh, you know, some of the overarching themes say in this article on ESPN plus uh, about this is big Ten basketball focus. So what did it have as far as what's important and who are some of the schools that uh, by judgment of their peers, it sounds like coaches are weighing in on this uh, seem to be doing it right. at least in the basketball space.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. It was a lot of uh, varying opinions. Um, you know, it was broken up into, I believe it was five tiers total. Um, and and the whole premise of it is basically um, Borzello took uh, he, anonymous quotes from coaches across college basketball's top seven leagues and just kind of went through, uh, you know, everything pretty much. So if a coach decided that tradition was a big factor, he would include it. If it was, uh, you, know, you know, winning, if it was getting guys to the NBA, if it was campus, if it was... Uh, coaching style or system. I think all of that came into play. Um, The consensus was that, uh, you know, Indiana and Michigan State were tier one uh, for the most part. And Ohio State and Michigan also uh, jumped into that tier. But there were a lot of varying opinions. You know, there were some coaches that, well, not some coaches, but at least one coach that said, you know, Michigan State was an overrated job. And it's only because Izzo uh, elevated it to that level but if you look pre-Izzo they didn't have a lot there and then you had you no know, quotes about um you know Michigan and Ohio State being football schools and so you know since they're mostly football schools you know they care about basketball only when they're good so you know how does that make you a tier one and you know Indiana you know with the history they have clearly a tier one but haven't done a lot recently so you know how does that factor in it was, it was really really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I wonder too, if football schools, how they're, how that perception is viewed by coaches, right? Like do they want to be in the spotlight? Do they want all the pressure on them or, or is it better to be at a football school where you can kind of operate and enjoy the spoils of those successes? But if things are down for a year or two, you know, you can always have the heat taken off you by uh, people focusing more on, on what's going on, on the football side of town. So it's definitely interesting. And I wonder also uh, how much history matters you know, to kids as far as what's going on uh, on the field or the court and if winning or just getting to the, the league matters more. I would say I lean probably towards just getting players to the league is, is what high school kids care about these days. Um, but I, I wonder your perception on, you know, Program history versus recent history on, uh, as far as success goes, and then also recent history as far as how many players have you got in the next level? Um, I think
1: I agree with you on it seems like getting to the league and just kind of getting noticed and being on TV all the time matters the most. Um, and So I think the Big Ten has a big advantage there. And obviously, having our network, you can get pretty much every game on TV. Um, So you don't have to worry about, you know, hey, my mom wants to watch me, my dad wants to watch me, and they can't drive, you know, 12 hours to see me. You you can use that as a recruiting tool. Um, I think winning does matter, but I don't think, you know, winning in 1950, 1960, 1970 matter. It's more of, you know, what have you done for me lately? You know, I feel like there's the attention spans from kids, you know, they don't really seem to care about. know, the the 1983 national champion, or, you know, we won this many conference titles, but what have you done in the last 10 years? If you've only won one or you haven't won any, I think that's going to, uh, you know, hamper you severely. And so, like, if you look at Indiana, you know, they're, from a historical perspective, they're the best program in the league, you know, five titles, you know, tons of wins under Bobby Knight and yada, yada, yada. And you always see the, you know, the five stars on the shorts to, you know, signify the the titles and Assembly Hall's got all this rich history. But recruiting wise, they don't keep a ton of the dudes in the state anymore. You know, they're going to other places. And so they don't seem to care as much about tradition as you would think. And so, you know, kids are going to Kansas because they're winning and putting guys in the league. And so I think for some of the programs like and UCLA is another example, you know. 11 national titles, but before this year, you hadn't really heard much from them in the last 15 years. So um, I think it's more of what can you do to get me to the league and what have you done for me lately on the court uh, in terms of titles and final fours that stands out the most.
0: Yeah, and I think, especially in this day and age where basketball especially, you can turn programs around really quickly. Football not as quickly, but you've seen – complete overhauls happen. Like what Dabo did at Clemson, uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa state, places like that. And, you know, PJ Fleck in Minnesota too. So I think coaches and personalities uh, outweigh almost the recent history. I mean, look at some of the teams we've seen in the final four recently for basketball. Uh, You've had Auburn or South Carolina, you see players going to coaches or personalities sometimes more than uh, the brand names, like you see a lot of players going to LSU, right. And, 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 uh, going to Will Wade, who has proven he can get high caliber talent there and, and put them in the NBA. Uh, you know, even if the the ball looks a little less structured than, than some other places. So, um, and then, you know, talk about history, Fred Hoiberg has got a top 15 or so recruiting class coming in. And, Nebraska basketball is not, you know, even close to some of the other big 10 programs as far as pedigree goes. So um, I, I think just get the right guy, get the right person. I've always said this, they can turn things around and make any place appealing to a recruit. So uh, I wonder if that almost is at the top. I think for me, just, yeah, the right person is where I would, uh, you know, rank these attributes for schools, but I don't know how you feel as far as uh you know, coaching goes. I, I think basketball even more so than football because football does have the elements that tug, I think, at at what you're trying to build a little more. The inertia is just a little heavier in college football. It's harder to turn the ship around if it's going in a certain direction. So I don't know how you feel on that front.
1: Yeah, I would probably say exposure for me is one. And I think style of play is probably two. Um, so that goes into the coaching. Um, I think there are guys who see you know, Fred Hoiberg, and say, hey, they like to run up and down, shoot a bunch of threes, play a fun style. Like, you know, I can get the ball on my hands and I can, I can get buckets and I can score 20 and, you know, we can have a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, I think they see some other schools who might run some more sets than others or, you know, they run a slowdown style and it might not appeal to them as much. And so I do think style of play is a, a huge, huge thing there. And no, it, but it works because guys who run a style that might not necessarily be quote-unquote sexy, but it wins, they can still attract players because they get guys who want to win. And so I think it works both ways.
0: Yeah, and Michigan State actually is going to be a really interesting kind <clears> of <throat> use case over the next 10 years or so, right? They had a great 20-plus years with basketball. They had a great 10-plus years with football. You mentioned Mel Tucker is now in charge and is going to have to put his own stamp on it. Izzo is one of the older coaches in the league and he won't be there forever, obviously. So you're going to have kind of concurrent, you know, depending on how long Izzo wants to coach, but like you're going to have probably two uh, examples right in your backyard there that you can kind of see how much MSU brand carries its weight, how much it depends on the person that gets in there and, you know, what, how much... You can build off of recent history.
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw it with UConn, right? I mean, you know, they had some Calhoun, you know, holdovers that wound up winning the title, but, you know, they pretty much fell off of planet Earth there for a while, um, you know, after that. And so Syracuse, I think, is going to be in mean, a similar position with Beheim. like once he leaves. Louisville, know, too. Yeah, you know, once Patino left. Like, what do these programs look like, like when the main guy leaves? You know, I think at the end of the day – You know, there are probably four schools that, you know, stand alone and it doesn't really matter who's coaching. They're going to always get the guys. But like you're right when, you know, Michigan State and and Syracuse, you know, when they leave, you know, if they don't get the right hire, like how does that look going forward? Like do they, you know, drop down a couple of pegs where they're just pretty good, but not elite level. So um, like you said, it's going to be really interesting. Um, And obviously on the football side, we saw. Michigan State, for the most part, was, you know, they're a top 25-ish program if you include, like, you know, past, past, past history. But, you know, for 20, 30 years, they were a 500 program until D'Antonio, you know, elevated it. And then once he hit the downside and left, you kind of see they're back to middle of the back again. So we'll see if that changes or not.
0: You can kind of mold this conversation, too, to any school, really, in our conference that we know so well or anywhere across the country, but like Purdue is another school that's interesting to me because they have the basketball pedigree and they have a system and a way of doing things that they adhere to very closely. And they've only had two coaches in the last, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever it's been. And, uh, they do things a certain way and they have expectations and we've seen players that might not fit end up leaving. And we've seen other players that do fit end up in the league and we've seen them win a lot of basketball games. And then also I think football is interesting because they struggled for a long time and they do have some semi-recent history and successful history to fall back on, but they've kind of had to rebuild it. And we don't know how this is gonna turn out with Brom, but he was able to capture something there uh, at the start. And, you know, beyond the couple of good years they, they had at first, they've been able to parlay that into a brand new facility and, and people taking Purdue football seriously again. And, and NFL talent now is is going through there, right? You got Rondale Moore now as a second round pick and you have uh, David Bell, he's probably going to follow in Rondale's footsteps. So it, I, again, that goes back to, I think, getting the right guy. And even in football, I mentioned it's harder than basketball, but if you get the right person, they can make an impact and and make things happen on the ground there. And you know, I just think Purdue's in a much better spot football-wise than they were pre-Brom
1: so yeah I agree and I think style of play is a huge reason for that um and again a lot of times they go hand-to-hand you know I think Purdue pre-Joe Tiller you know they kind of were like everybody else in the Big Ten and then you know he brings basketball on grass and they get a bunch of quarterbacks to come through there and now it's a place where quarterbacks want to go play and have fun and get to the league and you know we saw that with Breeze and Kyle Orton and Curtis Painter and then they went away from that for a while um got back to it with Brahm and and like you said, you know they got Rondell Moore and they got David Bell. They throw the tight end a lot, um, and defensively they're getting guys now. Like we saw Derek Barnes get to the league. George Karloffis is a monster. He'll probably get drafted in the next year or two. So you know style of play, and you know to your point, if you get a couple guys there, it's like oh well, if they can go there and start the effect winning then maybe I can go there too. Like sometimes it only takes one or two guys to kind of get that ball rolling and, and make it okay to go to that school.
0: Yeah. Indiana fans are probably listening like, wait a minute, what about it? I mean, Indiana football is even a better example, probably on the football right. side. Like, <laughs> they they have even less success in recent history. You know, no bowl, <clears throat> no major bowl games to speak of, you know, before Tom Allen got there and and they are completely different program perceived totally differently by pretty much everyone now. And and that's because the right guy got there and he did it without like any of the facilities or anything in place yet. And, uh, they're getting that built out there. And I know they had, we had the football uh, facility that we toured a couple of years ago and, and it's getting done, but like, that's another just fantastic example. I think.
1: Yeah. Again, if you can get the right guy, and then you can get a style of play that works and it's fun. Then, you know, everything, you know, kind of follows along. Um, Basketball, you could do it a lot quicker, uh, but I think football usually takes, you know, maybe three or four years of building a culture and all of that. And and what I've learned as a Michigan State fan is once you build it, it's harder to stay there. <laughs> um, you know, we had the uh, we, we we saw the great run, and then you know one bad class, and things start to go the other way. And so, I'd be curious in the case of Tom Allen, um, you know, to build off of this, can he get you know, even more nine win seasons, maybe get up to 10, maybe get to a new year six, you know, hopefully he can continue to build and then stay at that same level uh, of success. Cause it's much harder to stay there. I found out.
0: All right. H I don't know if you had anything else to add to the conversation, but I'll just close uh, my thoughts on it by, especially in college football, by saying that I feel like college football media likes to do this thing where they, they punch down a little bit at some of the less successful programs and they like to keep the status quo and say, you know, so-and-so can't win there or this couldn't happen there or, you know, just, just kind of, it seems like they get a a kick out of uh, some of the, the downtrodden schools while also elevating the same stories and, and, you know, recognizing when those, stories make the sport fun. Your Iowa States, they love Iowa State's a darling now in national college football media. They love Mike Leach. They loved what he was doing at, uh, at Washington State and, and couldn't get enough of it. Right. Like, oh, his press conferences were so funny. And, and this guy's just so, so off the wall edgy and all that. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think more of, I wish, I wish that there was more of a, uh, emphasis in college football and elevating more programs and, and more people, to that national spotlight, because, and this all comes from, I think the, the college football playoff discussion that frustrates me the most. Cause like, I, th- I truly believe that the more tickets you give out to the dance, right. The, the more, uh, Willy Wonka golden tickets you have out there, the more fun it's going to be and, and the more programs will thrive because of it. So I, I think I'm kind of just lumping in all my frustrations here with, with the playoff is the, the root of all evil. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just something that I think, is kind of a, a common theme it's like these programs will be good forever these programs will stink forever and i just i just wish there was more uh, of a college basketball mindset where it's like anything could anything could happen
1: yeah and i i am a hundred percent in agreement with that um way too many times it's uh you know what have you done for me or like you have to prove it to me before i actually believe it and while i get that to a certain extent, they're proving it to you week after week. And you're still like, Oh, well, no, that's whoever they don't win. And it's like, but every week they're showing you they're really good. And you're like, Oh, but they're whatever. So they can't win. But if it was another big name school that was doing it, they'd be a darling already. You wouldn't wait until the end of the year after they already won a a conference championship or a big bowl game to say, Oh man, this team's really good. Like you would, have bought in a lot earlier just because of what you saw uh, college football I think more than any other sport is driven by narrative and it drives me insane um and I think you know Mar- uh, no, Mar- September really drives the sport more than anything else like depending on how you do in non-conference and all that kind of stuff and if you do poorly that gets held against you for the rest of the year and if you do well you get a lot of benefit of the doubt for the rest of the year. And I think that's a, that's a big problem. We don't react week to week. We just assume stuff because of the name on the jersey or what stadium they play in or how many recruiting stars certain players have. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, a big, big problem. And we benefited from it as a league in 2014. I, I still believe to this day that TCU is probably one of the two best teams in the country. And they were third going into the uh, final week of the season and dropped all the way to six after, you know, blowing out an opponent. But because it was TCU and because it was Baylor, it was like, eh, well, it's TCU and Baylor. That's Oklahoma and Texas fighting it. Ohio State probably didn't get in. But since Ohio State is a brand and they look great, it gave them a reason to move up. And once they got in, they took care of business, but – um again, I think narrative is a huge, huge reason for a lot of things that happen in
0: college football. right. so we'll do our part to continue to shape that narrative small as it may be um, and can't wait for you know all the all the normal signs of football's returning because we didn't really get it last year like everything was so uncertain and tenuous uh, it'll be nice to have media days this year and then uh, camp and a normal start to the football season and looking forward to it so let's enjoy the summer let's uh have an eye on football season i'm sure we'll talk soon again but appreciate the discussion h as always and uh like i said we'll, we'll chat soon about hopefully something uh similarly interesting so see
1: ya yeah sounds good um i'm sure there's always content coming out and so we'll find a way to wrap about it for a while and hopefully make it interesting
0: for sure all right, thanks once again to Harold and Amir for joining the show. Really fun discussion with both those guys. Uh, always have a good time talking to the off season. It's a great time to get football guests on, guys who are working out and getting ready for either college or NFL seasons, and uh, definitely want to take advantage of that this time of year. And I uh, hope everyone is taking advantage of a time with no college football or basketball to watch. You know, it's, it's obviously a downer when those aren't on, but a chance to get outside enjoy the weather enjoy the spring as it merges with summer here coming up got a holiday weekend coming up so hopefully everyone stays safe has fun enjoys that and uh you know football's not too far away it's gonna sneak up on us like it always does and uh we'll be here for it and we'll continue to drop some episodes between now and then when things really heat up entering uh late august and into the fall so Thank you, as always, before we wrap up to Julie Bronder for stitching the show together. Thank you, to everyone, for listening. Quick reminder, if you have not already, to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it on the traditional podcast platforms, your Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, all the spots, you know. And uh, we talked about it with Amir when he was showing off his purple, his, his Vikings gear. These interviews can be seen as well on YouTube, on the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. There is a playlist for the Take 10 Podcast. So step one, find the Big 10 Network channel on YouTube, subscribe to that channel, step two, and then find these episodes, all of them. Since uh, COVID Zoom era, all of them can be found on video on YouTube. So definitely check that out and continue to come back and listen to us, watch us, and we'll continue to drop these episodes, like I said. And we'll talk to you hopefully very soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.